Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 22nd. The first Geneva Convention was signed on this day in 1864. The Geneva Conventions are a set of rules about how nations are supposed to behave during an armed conflict that are meant to try to protect people who aren't actually fighting from the effects of the fighting. So protecting all of the civilians who aren't involved in the conflict, protecting people who were fighting but aren't anymore, and just trying to minimize the impact of the war itself on all the non-combatants who are in the same place. The first Geneva Convention was the result of a conference that ran from August 8th to 22nd of 1864, and representatives from 16 states attended. They all agreed that during an armed conflict, wounded soldiers should be able to receive aid without regard for their nationality. So if you were a doctor and you found a wounded soldier who belonged to the other side of the war, it was okay to help that person. Medical personnel should be regarded as neutral. That was another thing that they all agreed upon. And they all agreed that the distinctive symbol of a red cross on a white background should be the internationally recognized symbol for medical care and other relief workers. This was really important because at the time, all the various nations had their own symbols that designated medical teams. And soldiers didn't necessarily know what all of these different symbols were. So they might, for example, attack a field hospital not realizing it was a field hospital, thinking that it was actually somewhere that officers were planning their next maneuver. This whole convention largely came about thanks to a man named Henry Dunant. He had been born in Geneva in 1828, and he and his family were really active in all kinds of humanitarian and philanthropic endeavors. During this work, he witnessed the Battle of Solferino during the Second Italian War of Independence. This has been called one of the bloodiest battles of the 19th century. It was really just devastating. And it was this experience that really focused his attention on the needs of people who were wounded in wartime. He went on to write a book about this whole experience, which described the battle in just gory detail, and it described the aftermath and the colossal efforts of local people to care for literally tens of thousands of wounded soldiers. In this book, he also made the case for all nations to have some kind of voluntary relief force that would help during this kind of situation, both during wartime with war casualties and also during things like natural disasters. After this book came out, the Geneva Society for Public Welfare established a five-man committee to look into the whole issue. They made plans for an international conference, which did meet from October 26th to 29th of 1863. And at that conference, they laid out plans for these sorts of relief societies. That then led to the August of 1864 conference and the signing of the first Geneva Convention. Although not everyone signed the convention on the 22nd, ultimately all the major European powers and several other states did agree to it. The Geneva Conventions have been amended several times since then, including in 1906, 1929, and 1949. The third convention in 1929 included humane treatment of prisoners of war, and the 1949 convention followed human rights abuses during World War II. 
The four conventions that were adopted in 1949 are the Convention for the Amelioration or the Condition of the Wounded and Sick and Armed Forces in the Field, the Convention for the Amelioration of the Condition of the Wounded, Sick, and Shipwrecked Members of the Armed Forces at Sea, the Convention Relative to the Treatment of Prisoners of War, and the Convention Relative to the Protection of Civilian Persons in the Time of War. Two more protocols were also added in 1977 to apply to wars of self-determination and civil conflicts. You can also learn more about all this in the January 9th, 2017 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is on Henry Dunant, who is also known as the founder of the Red Cross. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio work on these podcasts. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get podcasts. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at an infamous execution. Welcome to This Day in History Class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was August 22nd, 1910. The Japan-Korea Treaty of 1910 was signed, and Japan formally annexed Korea. Five years prior, a treaty struck between the Empire of Japan and the Korean Empire in the wake of the Russo-Japanese War made Korea a protectorate of Japan. And the Japan-Korea Treaty of 1907 shifted Korea's administration of internal affairs to Japan. But under the 1910 treaty, the emperor of Korea gave sovereign power over Korea to the Japanese emperor. The legality of the treaty was disputed, though, since Emperor Sungjong of Korea refused to sign it, as was required under Korean law. Korea's prime minister Lee Kuan-yong and Japan's resident general Count Terauchi Masatake signed the treaty. The treaty became effective on August 29th. The proclamation in the treaty said the following in part. In order to maintain peace and stability in Korea, to promote the prosperity and welfare of Koreans, and at the same time to ensure the safety and repose of foreign residents, it has been made abundantly clear that fundamental changes in the actual regime of government are absolutely essential. The governments of Japan and Korea, being convinced of the urgent necessity of introducing reforms responsive to the requirements of the situation and of furnishing sufficient guarantee for the future, have, with the approval of His Majesty the Emperor of Japan and His Majesty the Emperor of Korea, concluded, through their plenipotentiaries, a treaty providing for complete annexation of Korea to the Empire of Japan. Japanese rule in Korea was marked by urban growth, expansion of commerce, proliferation of arts and culture, and improvements in areas such as infrastructure, agriculture, and education. But that cannot overshadow the fact that Japanese rule in Korea was harsh and exploitative. Industrial development was largely for the benefit of Japan. Japan ruled through the military, and Korean descent was suppressed. Korean history and culture were also suppressed. Thousands of Korean historical documents were destroyed. Schools forbade people from speaking Korean, and other public places adopted the Japanese language. 
Many Japanese families moved to Korea and exploited the land by clearing trees and planting non-native species. Loyalty to the Japanese emperor was emphasized, and Korean customs and culture were disparaged. The Japanese forced assimilation on Koreans through religion, education, and language, making them go to Shinto shrines and change their family names. And the Imperial Japanese Army forced girls and women into sexual slavery. The Japanese also forced Korean laborers to work in Japan during World War II, since there were labor shortages. Koreans did resist Japan's oppressive rule, forming movements that fought for independence like the March 1st Movement of 1919. Japanese colonial rule in Korea ended in 1945 when Japan surrendered in World War II after the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Korea then divided into Soviet-occupied North Korea and U.S.-occupied South Korea. And the Korean War broke out between the North and the South in 1950. The 1965 Treaty on Basic Relations, which established diplomatic relations between South Korea and Japan, declared that the Treaty of 1910 was already null and void. Today, the history of Japanese rule over Korea is still a point of contention, and the period from 1910 to 1945 is known in South Korea as Japanese forced occupation. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there's something that I missed in an episode, you can share it on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. See you same place, same time tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.